Welcome to the South Carolina Department of Mental Health's Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast series, A History of SCDMH, Diversity and Representation Throughout the Years, Episode 1. to the April 2023 Diversity Month celebration, a history of SCDMH, diversity and representation throughout the years. Today, we will be focusing on the first 100 years, 1821 to World War I. I have with me today, DMH's own Mark Binkley, who is the executive project manager and one of DMH's unofficial historians. Mark, tell us how DMH was founded and what mental health treatment for patients was like in the beginning. Well, thanks, Janet, and thanks for uh, having this interesting topic, or at least it's very interesting to me. I think uh, DMH has an amazing history, and uh, it's, it's not well known by a lot of our staff, so I appreciate uh, you uh, making this a topic for your podcast. Um, DMH actually didn't exist until 1964, but we trace our history back to the founding of the uh, insane asylum in uh, what became uh, the state hospital and later became the Department of Mental Health in 1821 when the General Assembly first appropriated funding to build uh, the South Carolina Asylum. Um, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that the word asylum today has, has a stigma attached to it, but the word itself uh, really connotates uh, giving people refuge from the storm or refuge from oppression or refuge from uh, bad things happening to them you know, witness, witness immigration. So uh, back, back in the uh, late uh, 1700s, early 1800s, there were people who uh, advocated for the creation of refuges, asylums for people with severe disabilities uh, who were treated pretty badly uh, in the community, oftentimes uh, uh, did not live very long. So um, uh, in, in 1821, one of the other things to keep in mind is South Carolina was one of only 24 states at that time. And it was one of the wealthiest states uh, in the United States at that time, largely because of the efforts of enslaved peoples uh, who were uh, working on these big plantations and creating wealth for the, the planters. And as a consequence, wealth for the state. So South Carolina, being one of the wealthier states, uh, had the luxury of having a state-funded institution for people with disabilities. And uh, so they created uh, an asylum, which took several years to build. It actually didn't start receiving patients until 1828. The interesting thing about that is that um, it was intended initially to be for paying patients. And, uh, uh, and the assumption was that uh, in those days, there really wasn't any knowledge that mental illness 
uh, was caused by uh, chemical imbalances in the brain. Uh, there were no real understanding of mental illness. And the theory behind asylums was that uh, people who uh, were exhibiting symptoms of what we would today recognize as mental illnesses were uh, suffering from uh, the stress and the uh, and, and, and uh, upset from, from being out in the world. And if they were given a place where that was peaceful and uh, they had grounds to walk on and uh, were protected from uh, some of the stresses of society um, and were treated nicely, uh, they would recover. So the assumption was, number one, uh, that they could recover and, and an asylum wouldn't be a lifelong uh, or long-term placement. And secondly, that people uh, would, once this asylum was created, people would seek it out uh, for themselves or their relatives who were suffering from psychiatric disorders and would be happy to support uh, the cost of operating the asylum uh, by means of of uh, paying for their care. Uh, so it, it opened in 1828. In 1827, uh, the legislature appointed a board of regents of the asylum, and the current Mental Health Commission can trace its history back to that, uh, that initial board of regents. Uh, it was called the Board of Regents of the State Hospital, and then it became the Mental Health Commission in 1952 and has been our governing body really for almost 200 years. Um, what else do you need to know? That is really, really interesting. I um, really like the, love the way the first part, the way it was in the beginning where they thought there was a possibility of recovery. So what were some of the notable events and developments of the asylum and state hospitals history during the first 100 years? Well, like I said, the asylum was founded on the assumption that, uh, that people would come to it and uh, pay for their care um, and that they would get better. Um, and as we now know, uh, and like with a lot of assumptions, uh, they're sometimes incorrect and this one was as well. So. Uh, essentially what happened is it took a while uh, for a society in South Carolina to uh, warm up to the idea that they should send their family member to an institution rather than keeping them at home. Uh, and so it was a very, uh, in the first 20 years of the asylum's existence, say up until the early 1840s, um, it was uh, not a lot of patients coming into the asylum. Um, and secondly, uh, many of those who came in did not get better. Um, they were suffering, as, as we would recognize today, uh, from uh, chronic uh, psychotic disorders or chronic depression and, and really were disabled to the point where they, they did not get better. And in many cases, uh, their family members um, grew tired of, of paying for them and, and took them back home. Um, but over time, um, particularly when some prominent families did hospitalize relatives at, at the asylum, um, more and more individuals started to come in. And some of them, uh, they did start to accept 
some what they call pauper patients, patients who were, who were indigent, could not pay for their care. And uh, so the uh, superintendent and the board of regents would go to the general assembly and seek funding. And as we all know, uh, that, that can be uneven depending on the state's uh, finances and the, and the economy of the state. In some years, the general assembly has the means to increase funding for state institutions. And in some years, uh, it actually cuts funding for state institutions. And, and th th that was the case with the asylum as well, this sort of a pendulum of support from the General Assembly, uh, followed by sometimes uh, periods where the support was lacking and uh, the staff was lacking and the resources were lacking to take care of patients. So it was uneven. And if you read those reports, uh, which all go back to 1828, uh, you'll see many of the themes that we talk about today in terms of uh, not enough resources for to meet the needs of all the individuals who have uh, disabilities were reflected in those, in those uh, reports. And then, of course, um, they, the Civil War came along and that had a major impact uh, on, on the South in general, South Carolina in particular, and of course, all the institutions in the South, including the uh, South Carolina Lunatic Asylum uh, suffered during the Civil War. So this all sounds pretty bleak. Um, how was the DMH staff handling things at this time? Well, again, as in, in the aftermath of the Civil War, um, um, the South was really left impoverished and South Carolina was no exception. And so state support for the asylum in terms of funding uh, was not great. And consequently, uh, there were uh, over conditions of overcrowding. Um, also in, in the aftermath of the Civil War, um, uh, a lot more African-American patients uh, started to come into the institution. Um, and so the overcrowding grew worse. And of course, this was back in the days when uh, uh, African-Americans were overtly discriminated against, even though the Civil War had brought about the 13th and 14th Amendments and slavery was technically abolished. Uh, that in many cases didn't improve the treatment uh, of African-Americans in the South and South Carolina included. Um, so the facilities in the asylum were separated. They were separated by gender, but they were also separated by race. And uh, typically uh, African-American patients uh, were housed in much more flimsy, much uh, less desirable conditions than, than white patients were. Um, uh, also, in, in these days, even if you weren't in an asylum, there were a lot of diseases and uh, difficult uh, situations in terms of uh, nutrition that led to a lot of mortality. And it was made worse in these crowded, overcrowded conditions uh, like an asylum where people are crowded close together, uh, possibly malnourished, 
Um, and back then, diseases like tuberculosis uh, were rampant. And so infectious diseases and respiratory diseases used to take a, a major toll on the patients. And uh, DMH, well, what was then the lunatic asylum, actually began to develop cemeteries for those of its patients who died and whose families didn't come to claim them. And even the early DMH cemeteries, uh, which are still maintained today, uh, were segregated by race. Um, so the, uh, the treatment of all patients wasn't great, um, but certainly uh, patients of color were treated uh, worse uh, than, than white patients were. Um, and, it, and in many cases, it wasn't for, uh, it wasn't deliberate indifference on the part of the staff. In fact, uh, when you read the reports, it's clear that the, um, that the superintendents, the medical staff and the nurses and other staff were doing the best they could with the resources they had. I don't think there was any evidence of lack of care by the folks who were actually running the asylum. It was more, uh, it was more the neglect of the General Assembly and the public in terms of uh, adequate resources for the staff to provide accommodations. In fact, the superintendent's reports and the Board of Regents reports uh, throughout the 1800s uh, complained constantly about the facilities and uh, constantly indicate the need for improved facilities and funding to build additional facilities uh, to properly house and care for the patients. This is fascinating, Mark. Um, I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time and it does not disappoint. So I found that there are three key takeaways from today. South Carolina was indeed ahead of its time um, ahead of the rest of the nation in providing for state support for persons with mental illnesses. But despite many caring staff and good intentions, life in the asylum in the state hospitals was not easy for anyone. And when it came to the treatment of people of color, the asylum and the state hospitals was very much reflective of the times in South Carolina and the nation. The life in the asylum was generally always significantly more difficult for patients of color. I have one final question, Mark. Um, you referenced some reports several times. Where are these port reports located and can anyone um, access them? Yes, as a matter of fact, the South Carolina State Library has uh, digitized um, these reports. Um, and you can actually research the annual reports of the Board of Regents of the Asylum, uh, as well as uh, sometimes they have superintendents reports as well. Um, and uh, uh, a recent, well, it's not recent anymore, uh, a, 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 a case that was brought around the sale of the Bull Street property back in the early uh, 2000s uh, involved uh, whether there was an indication that uh, the proceeds of any sale of, of the state hospital property should be uh, held in trust for the mentally ill or could just go into the state's general fund. 
And as part of that uh, litigation, uh, there is uh, uh, there is a summary of a lot of the history of the state hospital, uh, which is available um, also uh, and and can be researched at the South Carolina State Library uh, under the uh, under the uh, under the topic of the sale of the Bull Street property. Good enough. Interesting. So if you are as interested as I am in this topic, the history of DMH through a DEI lens, you will need to tune in for the next three weeks where we will continue to cover the um, history of DMH the next 50 years on April 10th. And then the 1970s and the 1980s on April 17th, 2023. And then ending with the recognition of DEI in both treatment and patients in the workforce um, on April 24th, 2023. Mark, it was indeed a pleasure. I thank you for agreeing to be with us. We're also hoping to have Mr. Pierce with us um, in the future. It has been a pleasure. I hope you'll tune in, um, DMH staff. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. See you soon. Thanks, Janet. This concludes episode one of a History of SCDMH, Diversity and Representation Throughout the Years, presented by the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. Thank you for listening. Music provided by Ketza Brightness. <laughs>